Hello, bookworms. Welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we talk about your favorite books. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and today I'm talking to the beautifully named and brilliantly brained creator, artist, and podcast host, Ritzy Periwinkle, who joined me to talk about why Dealing in Dreams by Lilium Rivera is the best book ever. Hi, Ritzy. Welcome to The Best Book Ever podcast. Hi. Thank you for having me. Well, how could I resist? You are the most delightfully named human I have ever met (laughs) in my life. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Ritzy, will you tell my listeners what you do? So I'm a creative director. I work for myself uh, under Ritzy Periwinkle, which is really my moniker. It was um, what I started my business and what eventually I ended up using as my moniker when I exhibited as an artist. And so I worked in the music industry for a long time. And now I, because of the pandemic, I've had to pivot and have different types of clients, but I'm a creative director and also a podcast host, but mostly a creative director. What is the name of your podcast? Word to your mama. And what is that about? It's about a Latinx mama, myself, and giving a a platform to my amazing multicultural tribe. Common themes are nonlinear career paths, normalizing, destigmatizing mental health, women in male-dominated spaces, people of color in white-dominated spaces, and I believe a common theme as well is just music and creativity and joy. What kind of art, you said you used to uh, display art. What kind of art did you do? I was a multidisciplinary um, artist. I also, what really brought me into the world where I travel and exhibit all around the world was designer vinyl toys. So if you go to like Comic-Con and stuff like that, you'd see a certain section of San Diego Comic-Con where it would be a different art and little vinyl figures and there'll be signings and they're collectibles. So that really propelled me into that world. But I would do everything from painting to uh, 3D sculpture, murals. It was everything and anything. The vinyl things are, are the vinyl art that you did was that something that was commissioned by um franchises like did you do marvel bobbleheads or were you creating your own your own products i was creating my own things custom wise but then mm-hmm. i was also part of a series where it was an actual figure the same type of figure where every they commissioned um a crew a group of artists to do like series one and it would be it would come out. And so each artist did their own interpretation of that figure. Um, I didn't do anything specific for any studios as far as 3D art, but I did do, uh, you know, the trading cards tops. No, I don't know if you remember that. So like they do baseball cards. They also do like franchises. Okay. They do um, Star Wars, Lucasfilm, Star Wars, um, cards and I was able to do that. I was in Galaxy Six and I was one of the artists featured on that. And that was, I would say, uh, one of my best nerd moments, nerd out <laughs> moments as a huge Star Wars fan to do I would something think so. that was legitimate. And I was freaking out. 
So yeah, that that because of what I was doing, that led me into a pile of names to be given and chosen for for that. So yeah, I've never met an artist who stops making their art even when the circumstances change. Do you still create your own art even though we don't have we're not having comic cons right now and that kind of thing? Are you still do you still have a creative outlet? It's really been interesting for the past couple of years. Um, I had a surgery where uh, in 2016 and it kind of messed up my entire, I feel like my molecular structure. I was just really trying to to get back into feeling like myself. And I haven't really created in that same way since then. But I feel looking at everything, I feel like I've always been a creative person. So my creative outlet was during the pandemic, starting the podcast. I feel Mm. if I was creative in a way, I just, I feel like I just have to create something and express myself in some way. And it doesn't matter what medium. And I think that's what I had to really release and be okay Mm. with, but I haven't yet, but the good thing is, I think that being in so introspective and having this time forced upon us has really made me look within and I'm on the cusp <laughs> on wanting to create again, whether it's drawing, painting, 3D stuff. I feel it. And it's a feeling I haven't had since 2015. So I'm pretty excited about that. So I'm excited to see what the next year brings as far as creativity in that realm. That is exciting. And don't you love it when you are able to divorce your creative impulse from the need to be productive? Like even if you are not making a fortune on this work, the act of doing it is still so important. It's very important. I feel that even if I feel like we're all artists, we forget about that. And we all have those activities that we do that we allows us to get in the zone that all of us artists do and they like if anyone that's listening that's does anything creative knows exactly what I'm talking about you get in that zone time it could be six hours but you feel it was only 30 minutes because you're in the zone and nothing else matters and all the noise is quieted and I feel like we all have that one or multiple things that allows us to get in that zone whether it's dancing by yourself or reading a great book. <laughs> You're in the zone. You don't want it to end. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's important. I feel that it's so important to me. When I don't have that, I I see the impact of that, of not being able to get in those zones, not being able to release or express myself in any type of way. I, I, I really can see the impact of that. How did you become such a creative person? Were you raised by artists or was art really encouraged in your childhood? No, not at all. I feel art, but especially my first love of any type of art was music. And Mm -hmm. I always say that it saved my life. Being a child of, of immigrants, um, being really poor, being in an abusive household, 
TV. We, you know, I don't know what age bracket we're all in, but we had three, three many major networks, <laughs> and then so music was the only thing that I kind of had control of. We we didn't have streaming back then, kids. It was tapes, listening to the radio, being alert, trying to record from live radio. But that was my my first venture into creativity and something that really was able to take you to different spaces and different frames of mind and different um, worlds even. And then I would, I would get grounded all the time. And so I would be left in my room and I would started collaging letters. It was a big thing we did back then, handwritten letters to our girlfriends, sometimes guy friends. And then I would go and be above and beyond and do collages and make 3D letters that were could also be purses, <laughs> little bags. And then and anytime there was any opportunity in a class where you could get extra credit by doing something extra, say English class, a poem class, you could do a drawing or something, I would do that. But it was interesting because I never thought of myself as an artist because back then art seemed so elite seemed so mm -hmm. unattainable. It wasn't like we went to museums on the regular. It was a, maybe a field trip. And also, as an artist, what, what I thought was an artist was someone that painted, right? At that age, at those impressionable ages, I was like, oh, I don't paint all the time. I don't draw all the time. So I was, I'm not an artist. But it wasn't until high school, I went to creative um, in performing arts high school, and it wasn't until then we went on a field trip to a graphic design firm. And I was like, oh, being creative, being left side and right side brain together, I can express and communicate. That was finding myself a little bit. And then I ended up going to school for graphic design. But also you have to take other art classes. And I was like, oh, and finding other people that felt the same way as I did, where they weren't drawing all day. They weren't painting all day, but they were artists. They were mm -hmm. creatives. And I found my tribe then. And that's when I knew. But then I, I also was into the music industry. So when I left, I w ventured into that. And I was an act. And then I became an accidental artist. People were asking me to exhibit. And I was like, that was never a plan, but sure. <laughs> and then was traveling around, you know, around the world, exhibiting around the world and it was amazing. It was a dream I never even dreamt, had never even dreamt for myself. Where did reading fit in and books fit in, in this, in this creative life that you have led? One of the first books that I remember reading where I didn't have to read and I was reading for pleasure was Judy Bloom. Are mm. you there, God? It's me, Margaret. And I remember like, well, th this I could relate to this. I understand <laughs> this. Um, this is me now. And I thought that that was going to be the catalyst for me being a voracious reader. I was not. And it wasn't until maybe college, after college, probably, I had all these friends that were voracious readers. And I was like, I don't, how, what are you reading? What is like, how are you finding your, and they're like, maybe you need this, try this, try prose. Try to, and I, I, I just was, didn't have the time, I guess. And then it wasn't until um, Zadie Smith, White Teeth, that I was reading it and I couldn't put it down. 
And then I was like, these are the types of things that I, I want to read. And then it wasn't until, I guess you could say my adult life when I turned, when I was like in my 20s, late 20s, that I was like, oh, I like reading this type of stuff. What's your sweet spot these days? Where do you like to hang out in the bookstore? Right now, it's a combo of, I guess, self-help, but they're more research data-driven books like The Body Keeps the Score, stuff that stuff like that, social science, uh, psychology, research, that. And then also biographies of people that I'm really interested in that I like because of whatever they do. And then also really good young adult books, YA books. Mm-hmm. So that little, if you could do a Venn diagram of that, those, <laughs> that, that's where I'm at right now with my books. Hi, friends. Just a quick break to remind you that even though we are melting through a blazing hot summer here in California and the thought of the winter holidays seems like a fever dream, I am nonetheless hard at work on my second annual Kids Gift Giving episode, where I interview a bunch of young people about their favorite book. It was my favorite episode to record last year because kids are my favorite people. And you all very clearly agreed. It's still far and away my most popular episode. If you knew a young person ages 5 to 20 who would like to tell me about a book, I would love to talk to them. Go to my website, juliewroteabook.com, and click on the button that says, Be a guest on the second annual Kids YA Gift Giving Guide. I can't wait to hear from you. Now, back to the show. So tell me, how did you find this book? We're talking about Dealing in Dreams by Lillian Rivera today. Um, How did you first come across this one? So full disclosure, Lillian Rivera, she's a good friend of mine. She's like a sister to me, and I love her. But just because we're friends, you know, those that know me know that I'm really honest. And if I don't like something, I can't fake the funk. Her first book came out, and I loved it, uh, The Education of Margot Sanchez. And with any creative person, your sophomore, sophomoric debut, there's a lot of pressure. And sometimes it doesn't live up to the hype of your first first book. But then I read this and it exceeded my expectations. And I actually loved it more. I feel like I, it resonated more with me than the first book. And I've she's come out with amazing books since then. And she doesn't disappoint. It's been mm. uh, a it's been fantastic to see her read other books in the same lane as hers and with no bias and straight honesty, I'm able to say, you are an amazing writer. Mm. <laughs> Timing, tone, um, length. Um, it just, she. I feel like she has it all. And because I was going to s- talk to you today, The first time I read the book and I couldn't put it down, I was like, (laughs) and then this time I thought it'd be interesting to listen to the book, Mm. which was, it took a little bit to get into just because of the actress's voice and her tone and already knowing the story. I feel that was a little bit of an obstacle, but once she got into her flow and I got past that, it was, it was great. And I feel I got maybe different hints and clues of why 
I love this book. Did you have input or were you part of the process of making this book at all? Or was she thanking you just as a friend and supporter? I feel, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for her, but I, we felt it was as support. She kind of told us what she was writing about, but nothing, nothing more than that. As far as I can remember, right. she kind of, she kind of says, oh, this is what I'm thinking about writing about. Kind of like a quick overview. That's it. And then she goes and then she out of all of out of nowhere, she's a mother as well. I, she just comes up with this stuff. She's like, I turned in and we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> How does this happen? So reading the book at the end, I was crying when I read it the first time. And then I love uh, with if it's a book, if it's an album, I'm all about liner notes. Thank yous, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was reading it, just reading it. And when I saw my name and my other friend's name, where we call ourselves now that that same name is the crew, the LMCs, oh. it, um, I was crying even more. I was like, oh, my God. So it, oh. it was it's special. The book is special in so many different ways. So, yeah. What did you think of it? Oh, I really liked it. Very much. And I did not expect to. This is not my genre. This is not a section of the bookstore. I'm not much of a YA reader. I never read dystopian post, not for any, you know, for no big reason, except it's just not my wheelhouse. And so I kind of went into it going, all right, let's get through it. (laughs) And by the end of it, just like you said, by the end of it, I could not turn the pages fast enough. Yeah. Um, Why don't you tell my listeners what the plot of this book is for anyone who maybe hasn't come across it? Okay. Dealing with Dreams by Lena Medivera. Just also to set it up, this book came out in 2019, which I think is super important because of Mm -hmm. how timely it is and the themes and what it was talking about. Uh, To put it short, I would say if I would describe it to a friend, it's about Chief Rocca, Nyla, the head of this girl gang in a future, I would say, futuristic Bronx. And I feel the tables are turned. Women are in charge. They're the ones that the men have to bow down to. And it's her journey of self-discovery and figuring out if this life is everything she thought it was. So tell me why it hits you so closely, because I get the feeling you would have liked this even if your friend hadn't have written it. Totally. First, I I loved it because it I feel like I saw myself Mm. on like so many different levels, you know, being tough, the history that I've had, the history of trauma, of abandonment, early on death of a mother. That's me. Uh, Abandonment of her father. That's me. And I feel also the there's a overlying hip hop connection to everything. If you're a really big hip hop fan, you get all these little, you know, nuggets of of hip hop references from her name to different things that are mentioned in the book, and that speaks so much to me. Um, but I think a huge connection is how pain and trauma and trying to switch the roles of being quote unquote strong by being violent and being hard and angry really resonated with me in her journey 
to the discovery of, of a different sense of self. It, it it hit everything. I think that's why I was crying. I'll probably start crying right now. I think like it was just. I think so. I when I was re-listening to it, I wrote some things down, and I remember she said, and at one point, um, Nyla says, "Hate can push you forward in many ways, right?" And it's that that thing, especially as women, we're all or in, in people in general, you're told. What doesn't break you, what doesn't mm. break you makes you stronger. Mm-hmm. Like it, what doesn't, it breaks you. Like it breaks you and it messes you up. And I feel that I really connected with that because I thought, oh, I have to be strong. I, to be, I thought I was always strong and I didn't need anybody and growing up, when when I, I read this at a great time, I read this when I've already done the therapy, <laughs> I've already <laughs> been on the other side, <laughs> and it was like, oh no, you were just hiding from the pain. That was a defense mechanism. You didn't want to let people in because you're afraid of being hurt. You mm-hmm. you know, your mom died when you were young. Your father left. You have abandonment issues. You're not strong. <laughs> and everything in this book, I, it was just a lot. I think it was so personal and it's also, you know, I don't know how it is. I think the, the, the younger generation now that have books like this available, I think it's such a gift. I -hmm. had Judy Bloom and I could relate because it was about a girl around my age going through similar things. And, and, and I grabbed a hold of that tightly because that's all I had. Mm-hmm. But to have been able to read something like this of someone who looks like me, someone from similar backgrounds, I mean, it, it still nourished that younger version of me, I feel. I was also thinking about what an incredible experience it would have been for people like me. I was a very avid reader when I was a kid, but I only read books with people who looked like me. And what a different place you know, it's easy to make these grand predictions for me, for my life. Wouldn't I would be a different person if I had grown up with Black Panther and with this book and with heroes and warriors who didn't always look just like me. We, I think we would all really have evolved very differently. So it's exciting to think about kids picking up this book. Yes. Yes. For sure. I mean, I wouldn't, and I feel like maybe that's why I didn't become a voracious reader when I was younger because I was like, well, Judy Bloom, that's this is it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't see anything mm-hmm. else, or no one's telling me, or you know, letting me know of any other similar books that I could really latch on to. And I think that's what I was searching for. I was searching for escapes. That's what the music and TV, uh, movies all provided for me. And so I needed my books to do either the same or I sh- sh- wanted to be able to see myself. And I, yeah. I, I didn't see myself, whether it was a, a white girl my age with similar situations, dealing with similar situations and themes. Your past, you can't move. They always say that, right? You can't move forward unless you know your history. You know, you don't know your past. You don't know your future. Ziggy Marley, like, it, it's in the song. He says it all the time. And it's true. And it's if you don't, and and like I mentioned before, amazing book, uh, Body Keeps the Score. It 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 comes it it comes to get you. 
<laughs> if you whatever you're not dealing with, it comes to get you. And it t- it took something for for Chief Roca, her her mm-hmm. other name, for her past for her to finally deal honestly with her past, for her to move forward, and for her to see what had been in front of her this entire time. The realization. And you know what? I really feel she did an amazing job. And now with the pandemic and people being introspective and people going into therapy and learning that going into therapy is not you go in and you're fixed. It's a lot of ugly, hard work. You know, on on TikTok, I call it tip top on TikTok. There's a whole (laughs) thing like what is something that you learned about healing that you didn't know. And and everyone's just like, I didn't know how ugly and hard it was going to be. Mm. And, and in the book, it was an ugly, hard truth. It was physically painful for her to go through. Mentally, spiritually painful. But once you got to the other side, who's to say without spoiling the book? Who's to say? But the mm-hmm. possibilities are endless. And that's what we all have to do for ourselves. You know, is I can't move forward until I go into the deep, darkest pits and 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 put that mirror in front of myself and deal with all the ugliness. And it's going to hurt and you're going to fight. And I think that's where a lot of us were like, we know we don't want to do that. No, we're cool. (laughs) I don't want to, you know, but you have to as someone who has gone through it many times. uh it's you need to do it, but it's possible. But the rewards are far exceed the the deepest, darkest pits of pain that you may experience. I promise you that. And you lose people, which also happens in this book. I think. She loses people, but she loses people on her way to winning herself back, I feel, to her true mm-hmm. self. Right, and I think that's the beautiful thing, and that's another thing too. You, she, she has to be willing to do that, sacrifice that, and you, you mourn, you mourn those relationships. Like, oh wow, mm-hmm. and then you, what she was doing is something that we all do. Was it were those relationships even really real? Mm-hmm. <laughs> were they authentic? Right, you rethink of all of that stuff, but you keep moving, and I'm excited. Like I was excited. For the ending, and I reached out again. I remember I did it the first time, and I did it a couple of days ago when I refinished the book. And I was like, I don't remember what you said, but are you going to make another one? Like, like are we? <laughs> this is my next question. I was wondering if you had some personal intel. <laughs> she said no. She's like, but let me not say no. She's like, there's none right now, but never say never. And I was like, oh, I want to know what happens. I want to know if, what oh, the battles, that's... new battles were. I'm excited. <laughs> that is I'm... really interesting because it does feel like it could definitely go on. Yeah, I could get another book. Mm-hmm. You know, if if maybe the the lords and dragons above make this into a movie or better yet a series or better yet an anime series, I want to see it all. And I'm excited. We would want to then know what happens after this book ends. Because it's not quote unquote solved. No. The ending, you're very much at a new point at the ending, but nothing is fixed. So we got to put a little pressure on her, right? Like, what do you do? You're buying her a good Christmas gift this year, right? (laughs) Can I Venmo you some money for her Christmas present? (laughs) Of course. (laughs) I'm just so 
excited that you really enjoyed it as well. And the points that you made are great. And I'm looking forward to giving it to my daughter. I know she would love it because she's, I call her my book whispered. She's really into the really, you know, interesting and challenging YA. And I know she will love it. So it's, it's definitely a book that you want to read for yourself, but also pass on to the young people that you know. For sure. For sure. So Ritzy, tell me what you're reading these days. So right now I just finished, um, I did a couple of biographies and right now I'm in the middle of Jennifer Lewis, the mother of black Hollywood. Oh yeah. Um, which, cause I love her. I love, love her, her so much. I feel like she's my mom or something. And to hear <laughs> her story is amazing because she's, her story is as crazy as she is, but in the, great way but I also was interested in reading it because I know she's bipolar and I wanted to read her journey um, of of dealing with that so I'm in the I'm almost done with that and then I had before that finished Dear Girls by Ali Wong the comedian Uh and that was great so and then next I am thinking of I've never shamefully have never read any of um, Octavia Butler Mm mm-hmm and my friends, like Lillian, we have this crew. We're also the LMC, Lillian, shout out to Lillian and Elisa. Uh, <laughs> they both have because they're voracious readers. And they recommended to start off with Sower of Power, maybe? Parable of the, the Sower. Uh-huh. Parable, yes, yes. That one. Um, so I'm thinking about getting that. We are going to... Um, do that on the podcast, I believe in October. My friend Marion is coming back on. He's a major um, Octavia Butler fan, and he's appalled at my lack of <laughs> Octavia Butler in my reading canon. So he's he's educating me. Oh, awesome. So we can uh, discuss offline what you think. Yeah. And, and the reason the reason why, you know, she 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 keeps coming up, but then you know when um perseverance landed on mars yes the the rover i had put my son's name on there two years prior so because i had a chip with like 14 million names on there so of course we had to watch the launch and when it when it landed and the area the landing area they called it they named it octavia butler i forgot the whole name but i was like oh and i keep getting these signs symbols and clues that i need to read you know what i mean so since then, I was like, oh, which one? And asking around. And so, yeah, we'll read the same one. That's awesome. I'm excited. Yeah, she's really having a renaissance right now because I believe it was last year or the year before that she finally hit New York Times bestseller list. And then something is being made into a movie, maybe Parable oh, right. of the Sower. Yeah, you're right. I, I think I remember seeing that. Yeah. So there's like, yeah, you're right. It's renaissance. She's always she's always yeah. in the ether. She's always around. Yeah. I'm so glad she's getting her due. Well, this has been so lovely talking to you. I really want all of my listeners to go find your work. Will they please will you please tell them where they can find you? Yes, you can go to ritzyperiwinkle.com and you can also listen to the podcast wordtoyourmama.com. Okay, well, I want to thank you so much for joining me. I hope you'll come back anytime you have a book that you love that you want to talk to me about. And uh, you know, pass on the email of your friend Lillian there so we can all give her a little <laughs> I will. And when this episode comes out, I'm going to be like, listen to this. I won't even tell her. 
I'll be like, let's get this here. So, Lilium, yeah. let's make it happen. Thanks for listening, bookworms. For more information on this episode and links to all the books we discussed, please go to our website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. You can also follow the podcast on Instagram at bestbookeverpodcast. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and you can find me everywhere as Julie Wrote a Book. Remember, whenever you're book shopping, help support indie bookstores and this podcast by using my affiliate link at bookshop.org slash shop slash best book ever. Bookshop's mission is to support local independent bookstores. And if you shop using my link, I get a small percentage of your purchase at no extra expense to you. Thanks for joining me today, and I will see you at the library. Lilium, let's make it happen.